Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark with your Chicken Soup for the Soul. And today's inspiration advice comes from Chicken Soup for the Soul, Navigating Elder Care and Dementia. This new collection of stories contains the emotional support and practical tips that you need as you navigate the world of elder care, especially when Alzheimer's or other dementias are part of it. You'll feel less alone and more empowered in your new role after you read these stories. And today, I want to talk about something that every family caregiver needs to work on, and that is self-care. Let's start with a story by Diane Stark called No More Superwoman. Diane was trying to do it all. Her normal duties as full-time mother and wife, her part-time writing career, her volunteer work, and at the same time, she was caring for her father-in-law, Larry, who had had a stroke. She was visiting him in the hospital on top of her already impossible schedule. She says that she was feeling overwhelmed and it had been a constant in her life, even before Larry's stroke. And her kids weren't helping much. They were getting bored and complaining when she said they had to visit their grandfather. But they went to the hospital and the kids headed through the now familiar hallways looking for Larry's new room Larry had actually started having strokes a year earlier, so the kids were familiar with the hospital. When they got to his room, he was being changed, so they stood in the hallway, and that's when the kids started complaining again about the food in the hospital cafeteria, about how Diane had forgotten to pack a snack for school. Diane's middle son pointed out that she had been forgetting a lot of stuff lately and also had been late for pickups and not such a great helper on homework either. Before the kids could point out any more of their mother's shortcomings, a woman poked her head out of an office across the hall. Can I talk to you for a second? She asked Diane. She handed Diane a package of crackers for the kids and then spoke to her privately saying, I had to rescue you from them. Kids can be brutal sometimes. Diane felt bad that the woman had heard her kids being rather ungracious about how she was trying to do it all and not succeeding. But the woman had other ideas. She told Diane to stop trying to be superwoman. It turned out she had chatted with Diane's mother-in-law that morning, and she'd heard about all the caregiving Diane had undertaken over the past year. Diane tried to say she was just helping out and that everyone in the family was doing something, but the woman said, don't minimize what you're doing. Caregiving is stressful, especially when you've got young kids. They call it the sandwich generation because you always feel smashed in the middle. Diane admitted that she was juggling a lot of balls and she started dropping some of them. That's when the woman said, you need to give someone else a few of the balls you've been juggling. She pointed out that the kids were old enough to help. They could take some of those balls away, the household duties, to make up for the caregiving balls that Diane was juggling. She said, It's time to stop juggling more than you were designed to handle. And that was it. 
they had a family meeting that night and the kids took on some of the household chores and Diane could breathe again and juggle just the right number of balls. So we started that story with a quote from Lily Tomlin, and I think this sums it up beautifully. She said, for fast acting relief, try slowing down. So I've been personally involved in elder care for years now. My mother died four and a half years ago, and that's when we realized that my father's dementia was worse than we had known. Or maybe it was just how distraught he was that made him get worse. But he had already developed an obsession with heating the house. He even called the home phone number of the head of the oil company to demand a tank refill at three in the morning. And he had already started making repeated phone calls to people, including me, at all hours. And I didn't have any way of controlling his phone usage and I needed to sleep. So the first thing I did when my mother died was I ran down to my basement and I disconnected my phone. And that way my father could call my cell, but not my home phone. And I had the ability to block him so that I could sleep at night. He had an aide with him every night, so we knew he was safe. And the aide could call me whenever necessary because her number wasn't blocked, just his number was blocked. So I wrote about this in a story for our new book about navigating elder care and dementia. And I got a comment from one person who said she would never block a number from a parent with dementia. And all I can think is that she does not have an elderly parent with dementia and speed dial. So I had already experienced my father's frenzied calls during the wee hours of the morning during my mother's frequent vacations. She traveled all over the world for two reasons. One, because she wanted to see new places, and two, to get away from my father because she just needed a break from his dementia. So that period right after my mother's death was one of the most stressful periods of my life. We could barely process the unexpected loss of our mother as we dove headlong into caring for a determined and distraught man with dementia. He was already quite feeble, and he actually had to crawl up the stairs in the house, but he insisted on remaining in the house and remaining in charge. And he had driven his tractor into a ditch the prior winter while trying to plow the driveway. Before my mother died, he had driven an hour into New York City, undoubtedly going 40 miles per hour in the left lane on the highway. And he was still trying to climb ladders and fix things. And he was also visiting the bank almost every day, withdrawing large sums of money and then hiding the cash and then forgetting where he hid it and then calling the police to report that it was stolen. So I'm telling you all of this because I think that self-care is so incredibly important. And I'm really trying to make the point that self-care isn't selfish. It's really mandatory. So at my mother's funeral, her kind of aide, but more like her driver, told me that in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, my mother had said to her, Alan killed me. Don't let him kill anyone else. And I know that was an exaggeration, but the stress of living with my father and his demented state had made my mother so unhappy that she had deliberately disobeyed doctor's orders about her own health. And when I went through her desk, I discovered that she had known that she was at risk of renal failure and she'd done nothing about it. So over the next couple of months, we kept my father in his house with aides supervising him. And we pulled off a miracle 
after only a couple of months, we actually got our father to pick the assisted living facility that we had already chosen for him. And then the stress continued though, because we moved him in there. And instead of being sociable and enjoying all the activities, he refused to be alone in his apartment. So we had to continue the 24 by seven care. And I had to manage four different aides over the course of the seven days. It took four aides to get the whole schedule going. And my father was often rude and demanding to the staff, and he didn't like waiting to be served in the dining room. And then somebody programmed all the speed dial buttons on his new landline phone. And so for the next few months, we continued to have a terrible problem with phone calls. And he was even calling some of his elderly friends who didn't have dementia. And they were calling me and saying, is there any way you can get him to stop calling us? And I said, all I can tell you is just don't answer his calls, block them from your cell phone. Eventually, I was able to change the speed dial settings on his phone so that he could only call people's cell phone numbers. And that way, it was easier for them to block his calls. And then I was finally able to reconnect the home phone line in our basement as well. So that day when I had unplugged our home phone was the beginning of my self-care as a family caregiver. And it's just really important that you protect yourself. If you don't, you turn into my mother who kept fleeing to Mexico and other places on vacation and neglecting her own health. So I would actually find dozens of messages from my father in my blocked voicemails. He would call me 25 times in a row. The calls were spaced two minutes apart and the voicemails that he left were absolutely identical. Every single word was the same. He could not remember that he had just called me, and that's why he would leave me the exact same message 20 times in a row. What I did was I called him back for one phone conversation, a nice long one, on the days that I didn't visit him in person. So that was my rule, part of my self-preservation. I visited him two or three times a week in the assisted living, and then I would have one nice long phone call on each of the days when I wasn't visiting him in person. Now, my husband would comment on how patient I was when he heard my side of the phone conversation because the phone conversations were like endless loops where I would answer the same question 20 times in a row, or we would discuss the same topic a dozen times in a matter of minutes. But I didn't let that bother me at all because I figured I'm going to spend 30 minutes on the phone with my father anyway. So what does it matter what we talk about? This is my father's time. So if we say the same thing 30 times in 30 minutes, that's okay because that's what he wanted. And if everything we talked about was utter nonsense, no problem either because I always tried to enter my father's reality because his 90 years had basically pancaked into one flat continuum. Just take you know a big stack of years, 90 years, and pancake them. And in his world, he was... 90 years old, but he was also still living with his parents. And he'd also just come back from a business trip to Europe. And his mom, who had actually died 20 years earlier, had just called. And in this reality, my mother was away on one of her many trips. And then he had this recliner, which I called the magic chair, because that chair took him all over the world. He was always telling me that he had just been on a business trip to London or Chicago or Paris. He told me that he'd never traveled to Paris as much as he had during the past year, which was really funny because he did it all from his magic red chair. 
And he would also rewrite history. At one point, I learned that my grandfather, who ran a commercial real estate firm in Manhattan, had coined the term the garment district and had also invented the concept of designer showrooms. That was probably not true, although it's slightly possible. But at least I learned from that conversation that my grandfather did manage some commercial buildings in the garment district. So we started this caregiving journey four and a half years ago. And I have to say, it's way easier now because over time, as my father's dementia has worsened, it's like a hard shell has cracked and fallen off him. And underneath what was typically a kind of difficult persona, there's now this very sweet guy. So the shell came off and underneath is this really nice guy. And we've also moved him to an incredibly well-run memory care unit where he's been for a couple of years. And that has been such a relief also. So I think the stress is pretty much over now. And I think we've done a great job for my father. And I think a good part of that came from strategically protecting our sanity and our own health. I definitely took my mother's warning to heart. So prior to becoming a caregiver for my father, I had read our previous Chicken Soup for the Soul books about family caregiving and elder care and dementia, I had already ingested and digested a lot of great advice from people who had already been on this caregiving journey. And the prior books that I had read were Chicken Soup for the Soul Family Caregivers and also Chicken Soup for the Soul Living with Alzheimer's and Other Dementias. And now with our new collection about navigating elder care and dementia, we have three books that can help you if you are starting that journey or are in the middle of it and would just like some comfort and some feeling that you're not alone. If you'd like to share your own story about elder care or anything else in your life, click on submit your story on our website and you'll see the topics that we're working on. You'll see our writing guidelines and there's also a form that you fill in to submit your story for consideration. We're always working on half a dozen or more topics. And you might find one that fits a story that you've always wanted to tell. Come back for our next episode to hear an interview with Lisa Marshall, whose husband has early onset Alzheimer's. Lisa was recently featured in the media for marrying her husband all over again because he forgot that they were already married for decades. And he proposed to her and they had a complete normal wedding, wedding gown and all. And it really hit the national media and uh, everybody got a real kick out of it. So I hope you'll come back and listen to Lisa, who also will share some really good tips about self-care as well, because that's something that we're all so passionate about. <music>